Tandem Nomads, episode 132. And when I heard myself say this like that, I could just give up tomorrow and nobody would hold me accountable. I knew that that was time I I was down a slippery slope and I had to pull myself back and say this is this is not it I have to somehow finish this I owe it to myself hello nomad nation welcome to tandem nomads the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Emel Teregi. I'm a business and marketing coach and the founder of Tandem Nomads. Today's episode, it's all about keeping track of your goals while moving and living through the hecticness of a transition. It's already difficult enough to set up our goals in general, when even when we don't move on the move, live on the move. Uh, but it becomes quite complicated when we want to uh, you know, launch a business or have a goal or grow a business and do it despite the hecticness of our lifestyle, especially during a transition and a move. And I could not think of a better person to talk about this topic than Mariam Otimofiori, who's here with us today. Mariam, thanks for being here. And are you ready for this ride? having me, Amel. Yes, I'm very excited to be back on Tandem Nomads. Yes, and exactly. Nomad Nation. So Mariam is now in the show for the second time. And if you go to tandemnomads.com slash 82, and in that episode, she tells us about how she started her journey blogging and developing her platform called And Then We Moved. But she also talked about how to grow an audience and be paid for your writing. And let me tell you more about Mariam now, because she has such a fascinating background. So Mariam is a Pakistani expat who has spent the past 17 years living abroad in the UK, in the US, Germany, Denmark, Singapore, the UAE, and now she's in Ghana while we record this. I don't know where she'll be after that. <laughs> so she's an economist, a writer, a researcher, an author, and a blogger of, the, of And Then We Moved To in which she explores expat life, raising multicultural, multicultural children, and world travel. She newly published her book called The Messy Mobile Life, which is um, the first book in the expat genre that ties in multiculturalism and multilingualism and mobile mobility, mobile life, to equip international families to navigate the complex challenges that, face, um, that they face as a modern family. So you can really um, discover all her journeys. She has an, an amazing Instagram and Facebook post there. So I also love to follow all your great, interesting stories through Facebook and Instagram where you're very active. So thank you so much, Mariam, for sharing your journey with us. And again, Nomad Nation, go to tenandnomads.com slash 82 if you want to know more about how she developed her business uh, as a writer and a blogger. But today, I really wanted her here to share with us her journey of how she managed to write this book while moving from a country to another. And I do think that this is something that a lot of you I'm sure struggle with is how do you keep up with your goals when the environment is not stable? And this is really difficult. And on top of it, this book is really amazing. I just finished write, reading it and I do think that it's definitely something that you might all want to check in. It's called The Messy Mobile Life. So Mariam, please let us know a little bit about what is your book about 
And how did you get this idea to start writing this book? Sure. Thank you so much, Jamil. I'm uh, very excited to share how I started writing the book and how the idea came. And, you know, like, like most of us, I think uh, we all have lots of ideas and lots of goals. And because we live a life on the move, we sometimes keep shelving them. You know, we say, you know, we keep procrastinating. We say, we'll do it someday. The time is not right because I need to move next year or because something is happening in our lives. So the idea had been in my head for quite a while, um, but it's really important to first build up uh, an audience and first build up some readership. So of course, the first thing that I did was started, you know, to start blogging and to start becoming a freelance writer, just to start writing about uh, your experiences and then figuring out if you have a readership to begin with and slowly building up that readership. Um, and I always thought I'd write this book about living a life on the move and how it's nobody prepares you for how unpredictable it is. Um, uh, but I just never did it. Life was too busy and things got in the way. And what happened one day while I was uh, living in Dubai, it was 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m. in the evening. I was busy feeding my kids dinner. And, you know, if you've got young kids, you know, that time is usually when they're going crazy, like uh, you need to do dinner, bath time, bedtime really quickly. So I, I my, my phone rang and I just picked it up uh, and, you know, totally absentmindedly. And it turns out it was a caller from the Wall Street Journal calling me uh, to ask for a quote about what it's like to live abroad and to move your family abroad. And in that moment, uh, I just had to sort of ignore the chaos around me and sort of give a really good quote, which I thought hopefully would fit the article that this reporter was writing. And the irony was, you know, I'd been an economist and I had a corporate career for over eight years, but the Wall Street Journal never called me then. <laughs> now that I was an expat writer, you know, they're calling me. So life is just, isn't it funny, right? But um, yeah, I, so I just you know, was sitting there thinking on my feet and I, and I, and I gave what I thought was a good quote, but the reporter's next uh, question was, have you written a book on this topic? And I had to say, no, I haven't, not yet. <laughs> and I knew right then, you know, Amel, when you have that sinking feeling in your stomach that, all right, this quote is never going to make it to the final article because sure, your blog can get you noticed, but, you know, in order to be an expert or to be considered an expert in any field, it's it, it, having a book by your name is, is a huge credibility boost. And as predicted, I, you know, my, my quote never made it in that Wall Street Journal article. But what this rejection did for me was that it was my aha moment. I knew right then and there, I didn't want to go through another such moment. So the next day, I start, started putting my plan in action and reached out to people uh, who I thought would help me write the book. Excellent. This is amazing. And I love how you how this phone call had made you this aha moment, realizing that you needed to write a book. It was just a call from destiny, I think. <laughs> yes. but this is just amazing. And I'm, I also want to tie this in into something you said about how you've been growing your audience this whole time and being paid for, for writing for other people, but not for yourself. But okay. you had grown your audience. And I just want to highlight that because for all of you, Nomad Nation, who listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you might have 
remember this episode with Lisa Ferlin, where we talked about how to grow and um, your audience and sell more books. And we talked about the importance of spending the time to build that audience. So if you're interested in that, check out the episode 100. And 18, tandemnomads.com slash 118. And there's all the details. And Mariam is the living proof of everything we talk about in this episode. So listen to that one and then check out everything Mariam is doing and you will see. It's just fascinating. That's what I love about you, Mariam. You're so dedicated and consistent in what you do. And that's what led you to have the Wall Street Journal call you because you have built your audience and your visibility thanks to that, which has led you also to be able to write a book now. So yes, yes. that's, that's amazing. So congrats for that. What an amazing journey. Um, so tell us more about now, just to have an idea before we go into how you got to write this book and make it a plan and a goal and achieve it during a messy move. <laughs> um, Tell us just a little bit about, you know, the concept of your book and if you could tell us a bit about the Mullah also. I love, I loved how you broke down the whole book according to the Mullah and uh, I think you'll be the best one here to explain what it is. I was on this search and on this like trying to look out for a metaphor and a concept that would be as complex as the lives that we lead, you know, um, moving around from one country to the other and uh, mixing up different cultures, different languages. You know, our identities are constantly changing, constantly evolving. And so I really wanted uh, to explain this and to capture this in, in, in a way or in a shape or form that was as complex as what I was trying to write about because the book is for expat families like yours, like mine, anybody living abroad, anybody who has left their comfort zone and, and is then trying to figure all this messiness out, right? But then I heard about the MOLA uh, and the person who actually told me about the MOLA or mentioned it to me was my book editor, uh, the lady who became my book editor, my good friend, Joe Parfit, who's also been my writing mentor for quite a while. Because when I was trying to explain to her what I was looking for, she said, have you heard of Amola? And I hadn't. And then the more I read about it and the more I, you know, um, uh, dug deeper, I was like, this is it. This is the perfect metaphor for what we're trying to be. So Amola, quite basically, is just a shirt. Um, and it's a shirt that the Guna people, uh, which are the indigenous tribes in South America, current day Panama and Colombia, uh, they stitch the mola by hand. So it's a handmade sh uh, shirt. And in their language, a mola simply means a shirt. So when you hear the word mola, all you have to do is visualize a shirt, a shirt that you're wearing. The reason that I love the mola so much is because this is no ordinary shirt. Um, that the way that you make a mola is super interesting and fascinating. And of course, that's what I uh, use the mola as in my book. Um, so a mola is handmade uh, and you make it. What you do is uh, you take several different uh, fabrics, brightly colored fabrics, as many as five or nine, and you start layering them uh, one on top of the other. And you stitch and you fold and you cut half of the edges off. And then you basically apply reverse applique. So when you turn the mola over, you can see the design. And it's always a very unique design, unique to the person who's made it because it shows their cultural heritage. And 
what I loved was that the thread that they use is completely almost invisible. So the more invisible the thread, the better the mola. The, in fact, the more expensive the mola would be if you go to Panama and try to buy a mola, right? And so this whole process of taking layers and putting them one on top of the other, and that means that when you look at the mola, you can't see everything that goes into it at first glance. Some things are hidden. Some are apparent. Some only shine through when you cut off an edge and then you see it coming through. And some stitches are really hard, just like some of our transitions are really hard. It's so hard to stitch certain parts of our experiences into our story. And some are easier. Some, you know, cuts are clean and some cuts really, really hurt when you, you know, leave a place that, you know, has become home for you, for instance. So just the whole imagery of the Mola, I felt, um, really worked well and resonated with me as a third culture kid, resonated, you know, with so many expat families that I knew uh, were going through this whole process. Um, and of course, I want to mention that the first person who uh, talked about a Mola, uh, you know, in this context was this lovely lady called Norma McCaig. And she wrote the foreword for um, the book by Ruth Van Rieken and David Pollock uh, in 1999, the first edition that came out. She wrote the foreword for Third Culture Kids Among Worlds. And there she encouraged TCK's Third Culture Kids to visualize a MOLA. And what I wanted to do was, I love the MOLA so much, I wanted to create a whole framework around it for not just the third culture kid, but for the whole family, for the spouses, the parents, the kids, anybody who's part of your family, and to come up with what your family MOLA looks like. So I ended up designing the whole framework around a MOLA. <laughs> what I loved about, I, I honestly, there were moments where I was quite emotional reading your book because I saw myself so much into it. And I think what makes it, there's so many great books out there and all of them have their value. For me, the one thing that yours has brought was like the cross-cultural aspect of a mixed couple with, um, first of all, your, your, your husband who's mixed already, like Italian-German, and you are Pakistani. And then you have kids who have been uh, raised on the move and you're developing your relationship on the move. So this whole complexity and beautiful complexity can be really messy and you and this book really teaches to embrace that mess and and how to deal with it and I loved how you brought in a lot of expertise from experts to answer some very specific questions related to each of those those aspects of messiness so I really recommend it to you Nomad Nation to check it out and uh, we could talk about it for hours but I also, on top of the content that I was really impressed by, I was also impressed by watching you because um, you shared with us the behind the scenes of writing your book, which is something we also talk in the episode 118 of, uh, you know, the importance of just sharing that journey of writing the book. And you did it so beautifully. So I've been doing that. And then I saw the result. It was amazing. But what I found most impressive is that you have done it also while you are dealing with this transition. So, but before we talk about the transition, what are the steps that you had to take in order to make this book happen? That's a good question. <laughs> so let's pick up right back from where we left. I get off the phone from the Wall Street Journal the next morning, literally the next morning, Amel, I sent a WhatsApp message to uh, somebody who I thought would uh, either help me write the book or point me in the right direction. 
right? Um, it's equally important to know uh, who to ask for help when mm -hmm. you're trying to write a book. So one of the key things is don't try to do it all by yourself. If, know who to ask for help and who's going to give you the right advice and the right tips to guide you in the direction, mm -hmm. right? And by the way, just sort of to interrupt that, I do think that this works for any other goal, not just a book. So this is the point is how do you keep up with your goal? It's just friends ends up to be perfect that it's writing a book because that's really something that a lot of you listeners I know you're working on. So, um, but yeah, first step figuring out what, what kind of help do you need to reach that goal? In this case, write the book. Sorry. I just wanted to highlight that. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great point. I think so many of us think so many of us, you know, who start our own business, Amel and our entrepreneurs, and we think, It's all up to us. Success is us. If we don't do it, we fail. And the truth is success is a lot more complex and layered, just like your messy mobile life. You need Excellent. to get help from the right area, from the right support. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, I think especially when you're writing a book, you need to figure out, is your idea uh, solid? Mm -hmm. is it, it, does it make sense? Does it fit the targeted audience that you're looking to appeal to? Is it marketable? And what are your goals through writing this book? So ironically, the hardest part was before I even wrote one word of the book was the pre-planning and the figuring out why am I writing this book? How will I define my success? Who am I writing this for? What does my ideal uh, you know, reader look like? Who is my ideal reader? And, and what do I want them to feel after they've read the book? Like, how do I want, is it, you know, do I want to help them? Do I want to inspire them? Do I want them to take an action? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And as a writer, you have to be crystal clear about what your goals are. Why are you writing this book? And I feel that a lot of writers don't finish writing their book because they don't do this prep work of mentally challenging yourself on being sure I'm writing this book because this, 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 right? Because that's when you lose motivation and, you know, we, we all know what that feels like, right? So it's truly important to do the prep work. So before I wrote even one word of the book, I did about almost three months of prep work. And I'm very happy to share exactly what I did. I want to invest in myself um, because I feel like sometimes before you start a big project, uh, you, you're so uncertain, you don't know where to start. And it, it can be a really good confidence boost to invest in yourself to make sure you are learning some of the skills that you can then apply uh, on this project that you've taken up. And so I did an eight-week course uh, with my editor, uh, Joe Parfit from Summertime Publishing. And the eight-week course was specifically, it's called the book within and it's what you need to do once you've got the idea to plan for your book and it was a very st structured process so for eight weeks all I did was plan the book I made a whole mind map I <clears throat> took you know wrote the whole table of contents I did everything I imagined my perfect ideal reader I sat in libraries and looked at other books people had written and poured over all the details of you know what their book was like what I wanted to do so much research so much analysis so much thought and 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 that was truly the best eight weeks I think if I hadn't had those eight weeks I'm pretty sure I would have given up when the the going will get tough at some point and it happens for all of us and <clears throat> I think doing the prep work helped a lot 
Well, and the one thing I want to also point out is that, <laughs> you know, writing a book takes a lot of time and you shouldn't really hurry the process. One of my favorite authors, Natalie Goldberg, says that, you know, writing is not like a McDonald's hamburger. Um, it, you, it can't be fast. You, you just you have to trust in the process and you can't quite uh, rush through it. So for anybody who's out there who's trying to write a book or in the middle of writing a book or wants to write a book, my best advice is think of your book like, you know, like an Italian five course meal, right? Take your time. Take your time doing it. Don't rush through it. Don't rush from one course to the next, you know, in a hurry to finish. Uh, I, I say that because my husband's Italian and they take forever to finish a meal. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, I felt like that helped me to appreciate what I was creating, um, you know, and not to rush through it um, because that's the one process you don't want to rush. Yeah. If I had to turn it in, in other words, uh, I would say that second step is um, like breaking down your big goal into baby steps. And you know that one of those steps was to yeah. learn what you needed to be able to make it a good book. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it, it feels very daunting. You definitely need to break it up into small steps. And for me, I had to break it up into small steps and get myself in the right frame of mind. Mm. Um, because I, I don't know about you, Mel, but sometimes my biggest challenge is not being in the right frame of mind or doubting myself or not thinking I'm good enough or not thinking I can see this through or, you know, questioning my ability, questioning how much time do I have, questioning my skills. So as a, and, and as a writer, quite frankly, frankly speaking, you don't have time to sit around questioning your writing. You need to be, you know, just writing, you know, and if you've got a good editor, they'll, they'll tell you if your writing sucks. So leave that part up to them. And you just have to get busy doing things. And yes, you have to break down your goals into bite-sized, manageable chunks. And you have to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind to, to start this so that you can see it through. I think that's one of the biggest things for seeing anything through is to start it intentionally. Yeah. So, so the, mind, the first thing is getting the help you need to know what you need to learn. The second is breaking down your goal into baby steps and then the mindset so important for sure. And what did you do to have that mindset? What do you think was important for you to be able to put yourself in the right mindset? Uh, so many things. I think uh, for me was eight. One was, you know, just being very clear. This is what I want to do and I'm not going to waste one more day. Um, and Part of this was admitting I may not have all the answers and I may not know exactly how to do everything, but if I don't start now, I'm going to regret it and I'm going to constantly be, you know, pushing myself back as opposed to pushing myself forward. Mm -hmm. And I had to redefine how I viewed progress. Progress was also eight weeks doing this course was progress for me because I was learning the ins and out of the publishing world. I was learning what makes a good book. I was learning how do you write a book? And I didn't know any of this stuff before. And I didn't know that there is a formula to writing books. You know, each book has a formula. And I didn't, you know, had I just been doing this by myself or just like a shot in the dark, I'm not sure I would have come up with the formula that I eventually did. So somehow, although we like to think of a creative process as just, you know, full of creativity, I think you need a lot of order in your creative process at the same time. And of course, it's tricky trying to get that balance, mm -hmm. right? 
I love it. I love what you're saying here. (laughs) You need some order in your creative process. And especially if you then have to move and live in a messy transition, if you don't have that order, then you can be for sure, you can be sure that your goal will not be reached and you will give it up. So I love that you brought up the mindset and the importance of creating that order and, and be disciplined in a way to make it happen. So before we talk about how you manage the transition, um, can you tell us what were the challenges you had? Because you were writing this book and going through all this process while, like before you moved and then you were still writing it. And actually we can see it in the book when we write it. You even mention it. By the way, I just wrote this after this, you know. So it was really fun to be moving with you during we were reading the book. So um what were the challenges you had to be able to to make that transition while writing the book? And it was a big transition from Dubai to, to Accra in Ghana. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Amel. I'm kind of taking the reader along with, you know, like, all right, chapter one, I, when I finished writing that, I was still in Dubai. <laughs> but by chapter five, you can see I've moved, right? My world has changed. So, you know, it, you just have to re uh think and reframe your expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was a big part of the challenge. I said, okay, the book will not be published in Dubai. It won't be launched here, but I'll figure this out. Um, the part that was tougher for me to manage was where I was moving to, um, because as you know, Ghana is a developing country in West Africa, and life here, you know, this is a hardship posting for us. So, you know, um, we simple things here take much longer to get done. And I could keep up with the writing. I could stick to my schedule, to my routine when I was in Dubai. I had my comfort zone. I was in year four living in Dubai. I knew everything. I knew everybody. I had my network. I had my support. I knew where to get parsley from. I didn't have to go to different supermarkets looking for things. And when I moved to Ghana, I I was a fish out of water, of course. You know, and anybody who's been through a transition knows what a transition period looks like. You don't know anything. You don't know anybody. You have to start from scratch. And I had so many conflicts of interest that A, I didn't know how to get anything done. B, I had to settle my family. C, I had to spend, technically I should have been sitting at home writing every single morning, but I couldn't because I didn't know where to get mozzarella from. And I I had to go to three ATMs and I had to go to five supermarkets because again, this is a hardship uh, country. So not everything is available all the time and you need to know where to go, word of mouth and so many tricks. So I had no, like, I just had to, like my, my routine was just gone out of the window and, you know, and it's interesting, like, you know, because I've done so many moves and Ghana was my ninth country to move to. So I had anticipated this to a certain extent. And I'd actually told myself and I told my my editor that, OK, I'm going to take the month of August off. August 2018 last year was my transition month. And so I worked all through the summer, worked through my summer vacation, thinking that it's better that I work then because once I get to Ghana, I won't be able to work. Right. Um, and yet I still underestimated what a big change it was because August soon turned into September and I, you know, I'm still living in a hotel. I don't have my container. I don't have a writing desk. I don't have anything and I'm way behind my deadlines. So that was truly when the pressure started to mount and um, I came very, very close to giving up because I think 
that was truly my make or break uh, test that, you know, mm. am I going to see this through or am I just going to call it quits? Um, because quite honestly, it was just a lot to deal with. Um, and something I mentioned in the book um, <laughs> to add to the whole messiness is that as soon as we moved to Ghana, we were told you might have to pack up your bags and move again. <laughs> um, and I said, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. And um, so trying to settle into a place, knowing that you might have to pack up again and move, trying to get everything done, trying to keep up with your deadlines. I, I, I'll be very honest. I came not only close to giving up, but I almost just slipped into this downward spiral of, of I can't do this. And, and, you know, the funny thing is when we're almost close to giving up on something, we try to convince ourselves this is the right thing to do. Um, and I, in Dubai, like everybody knew I was writing a book because I told everybody and I made sure everybody knew, even like the coffee barista at my favorite coffee place knew I was writing a book, right? Um, and I moved to Ghana and nobody knew me and nobody mm -hmm. knew I was writing a book. And it was so easy to just give up. It was so easy to just say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. I'll finish it later or whenever my life is normal again. Um, and nobody would ever ask me, hey, what happened about that book you were writing, the book you researched, the book you interviewed me for? Like, and when I heard myself say this, like the third or the fourth time in my head that I could just give up tomorrow and nobody would, you know, hold me accountable, so to speak, face to face. Mm -hmm. I knew that that was the time I... I was down a slippery slope and I had to pull myself back, you know, and say, this is, this is not it. I have to somehow finish this. I owe it to myself and, you know, get back on track. I love that you're so honest with us by admitting that you could have given up, you know, if you did not stick to it. And this is something that's part of the journey of, you know, setting goals and trying to keep track of them in a messy journey. So I do appreciate that you say that it's hard. It's not easy, but it's possible. You're the living proof that it's possible. And um, and I think the accountability part must have been quite also useful to you because you had shared that with the world, your goal. And, and I think that's one of the secrets of keeping up with your goals is to build that accountability and share it with the world so that even during the messiness, but you were also honest with the challenges that you were going through during that time and sharing it with us. So it's not like you were finding excuses for it, but you were at least sharing it. So, but I still would like to know what has helped you the most not slip into giving up and completely. What was the one thing that really helped you say, okay, I need to get through this? Yeah. Um, I think To be very honest, if it was, if I had to choose one thing or what was the most important thing that uh, allowed me to continue, uh, I'd love to say it was myself. I'd love to. I'd love to, you know, sit here and tell you it was all me and I'm great and I pulled myself back. The truth is I needed help. And, um, and the truth is what I've learned is that, you know, one of the most important decisions you'll make in your life is who your partner is, <laughs> who you decide to spend your life with. And that will actually influence all the other areas of your life. And so the person and what really kept me from giving up in the end was my husband, my husband, Martino, who just made sure I did not give in and I did not give up. And he and I, you know, said, okay, what do we need to do to make sure you can finish your book? Because my goal was, my deadline was to finish writing the book by December of 2018. 
And we had given ourselves three months to then do production, editing, proofreading, design, beta readers, all of that for the first Q1 of 2019, with the aim to publish the book by March of 2019. And so everything was very much set, right? I was working backwards from my goal. And maybe that's something important to mention as well. I I had already set the goal of when the book would be published. That's um, important. Yes. And so what I was doing was working backward, right, Um, to make sure I was not behind on my deadlines. So that definitely had kept me accountable. But also that I let's be honest, I needed practical support. I just I didn't need just emotional support. I needed actual practical support because I had to do at least five or six hours of writing every day in the morning. And then once the kids were asleep in the evening, I had to do rewriting. And no one tells you that when you write a book, (laughs) you'll actually end up doing more rewriting and editing than actual writing. And so, you know, that's the most time consuming part. And when I tell people that the book that they're reading, uh, the version of This Messy Mobile Life in their hands is the 192nd version. (laughs) They're like, you're kidding. But that's how it that's how it is. A book needs a lot of editing, a lot of rewriting. And so be prepared to spend huge chunks of your time doing that. Mm-hmm. So going back to the to the support I needed, I, I you know, I, I couldn't afford to waste my morning uh, going to different grocery stores, not, you know, it was taking me too long. So I had to outsource a lot of my usual responsibilities for that time period between September, October, November, and December, which was my crunch period last year. Um, I sat around the First thing I unpacked was my desk when the container finally arrived. And I just sat here in the midst of unpacked boxes. I had to even outsource the unpacking um, to a lady who we hired, who is my uh, housekeeper. And we're very lucky to have had her because I needed as much support as possible. Um, and usually, if you know me and if you followed my writing, you know, you know, I have this weird, complex relationship with hiring house help. But because I was in the situation I was, I came to God and I said, I need the help. And now I'm not afraid to ask for it. And I just knew I couldn't do all this if I didn't get the right help. So I, you know, I needed help with grocery shopping, cooking, household stuff, school pick and drop ups, bedtime routines, you name it. So I could focus on getting the book done. And um, in the end, that made the difference. That's huge. And I'm so grateful that you bring it up, Mariam. This is one thing that I have to say that I'm the most passionate about when I work with my clients who are 90% of them moms. And there's one thing that moms do really well is to not ask for help. <laughs> so this is so important. The key to your success, Nomad Nation, is building your support system, your emotional support system and your practical support system. So you, it's so lovely that you had the, you know, the relationship and with your with Mario that um, Martino, sorry, that really works and that you support each other. And I'm sure that most partners want to support you. But here is one thing I can share from my experience is that we expect people to guess. Don't let your partner, your kids, your surrounding, your family to guess what you need in order to achieve your goals. And it's really important to verbalize what you need. But also what you've done is invest financially into the support system you needed, be it by investing in yourself with the courses you need, with the mentor you needed, but also with the 
help, the housekeeping, and everything else that needed to invest in. And I think this is the key success, the key to your success in anybody else who manages to grow their their businesses and achieve their goals in general. So I'm so grateful you brought that up. I can be like, I'm so passionate about this topic. Build your support system, Nomad Nation. There's nothing possible without that. Absolutely. It's so important, Amel. And I know we'd all love to say we're super moms and we're super, you know, human beings and we did it all. We juggled it. Uh, the truth is that, you know, if you have a goal and you're on a tight deadline and you really want to achieve it, something else has to give and whatever that is. And in my case, it was, you know, making sure that for that crucial three to four month period, I had enough time and energy to lock myself up and devote my time to what I had to do. Um, and it, it's never easy. You know, you're in a new place and you want to go out, you want to meet people. And so it was a really tricky balance. And as a writer, um, you know, I had to come up with a schedule that would work for me. So it, it meant, you know, four days working and one day I would allow myself to go out there, meet people, uh, have a coffee, check out a new place in my new city that, I, of course, I have to explore. Right. Mm. And, and to meet and, and to meet people, because in the end, if no one you know knows you, you're not going to you know succeed either. You need to get out there and tell people. So. I'm very happy. I'm a crazy lady in Accra who started telling everybody who she was meeting for the first time. They'd be like, oh, you've just moved to Ghana. Welcome. <laughs> How's it going? And I'd be like, well, it's uh, it, 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 this is pretty challenging. And I'm writing a book and I don't know where to get mozzarella. And is there no basil available? And can you please help me? Can you take me around? Can you show me so I can actually spend time doing this? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. We're happy to help you. Oh, you're writing a book. Oh, that's great. And so, you know, you start building readers and interest and you have to start talking about what you're doing. Um, and I think ironically, uh, like I was telling you, because the subject of my book was leading a very messy mobile life and I was living through the mess while I was writing it. Exactly. <laughs> I actually feel had I not left Dubai, like the, you know, like the, the whole moving made the book better. It made the book more real and I got such great material from it. Like, you know, it made the book better in the end. So, you know, I chose to focus on that and all the challenges I was facing ended up being right well I'll just I'll just put this in the book I'll just add That's this amazing. in you know but. That's exactly why I was so excited to have you on this episode to share that with us. It's like the living proof. And on top of it, you were actually writing about it. So, and you share a lot of this um, in the book. So it's really exciting. And um, one thing you said also is about tell people what you're doing. Don't hide it. We already talked about it at the beginning, but that has also helped you because I saw during your launch, you already then by then you already started knowing people and could have your book launch and have your first readers in Ghana among the expat community there. So tell to people what you're doing. Don't shy away with your goal. Announce it to the world. And you know what? And a lot of people say, oh, what if I don't reach it? Well, if you don't reach it, you figure it out. But that telling people will help you reach it. So <laughs> Absolutely. I think, and Amel, you're a marketing coach, so you know this better than anybody. But you know, I was so afraid to start marketing a book and talking about a book that I hadn't even finished, right? Because I started just being very honest about the process from, you know, last year in February, 
I started telling everyone, hey, I'm working on a book. Hey, I'm working on a book. So it should come as no surprise to anybody when you actually publish a book. That means you haven't been telling people that what you've been working on, right? People should be waiting for you to hit the publish button. Exactly. Everybody should be there cheering you on, knowing, you know, all the ups and downs and have been through that, you know, been through that journey with you. And that's what made it more exciting. That's what made it, uh, that's what created interest in the end, that people had seen me go through all of that. And then when I did finally you know uh when we hit the publish button and you know you could feel the excitement because you'd taken everyone along with you on that journey so don't be afraid of telling people what you're working on simply because you think you might not achieve it you mm -hmm. you should you should tell people and then you can be honest through the whole journey about what the challenges were that you faced how you're overcoming them what is going on and that's how you build readership and that's how you build you know honest uh, yeah, and that's I think really part of your big success is also that you've always been transparent and not playing games and pretending that you have it all figured out. No, you mm -hmm. don't, and that's the beauty of it. And you say it in your book: "Let's embrace our messiness," mm -hmm. and yes. and and you embraced it by sharing it with everyone. So you you and that's what makes you, um, you know, share all this valuable insights with us so thanks so much for that and nomad nation i definitely recommend you to check out this uh, mobile uh, messy mobile life it's an amazing book and so much resources there's a toolbox there there's so many experts that chip in with um, their insights and a lot of examples real life examples that you share also not just yours but so it is really well designed and very smartly done where you actually go from a to z uh, through the process of analyzing all the different messiness. So like you said, that metaphor of a thread, that's the knot, you need to just open one knot at the time. And that's what you do through the book. So thanks for that. And thank you again for these great insights. So I would just want to ask you one last question is that what is your biggest message for anyone who wants to reach their goal and stay on track even during a messy move and transition? <laughs> That's a great question, Amel. Um, I think my biggest uh, piece of advice or biggest tip would be embrace the messiness that comes your way. Uh, don't fight it. Uh, you're just, you know, you're not going to be able to fight it. All right? When you live a life on the move, when you're living away from your passport country, your home country, there's a lot of things coming at you, challenges and opportunities. And how you view the two of them and how you take advantage of one while sailing through the other, it's truly what's going to define your success professionally and personally. And so my biggest advice is accept what's happening in your life. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and make sure that your work is complementing your life, right? Um, I think our work should fit in our life as mm -hmm. opposed to the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's about making sure you've got realistic goals. It's about making sure that you can, you know, uh, you're doing something you're really passionate about. And that's also a big, big message for whether you're writing a book or you're doing anything else is to, to do what you know best and to do what really excites you. Um, because then it doesn't feel like work. It feels like just something exciting you're working on. And, as far as just sticking to the plan and consistency and all that is concerned, I would say the biggest tip is surround yourself with the right people and don't be afraid to ask for help and support as we talked about. And, and just be very 
you know, real, you will face challenges. Who doesn't face challenges? But as long as you know how to get the right support and how to move forward, moving forward is, is what counts as progress and what counts as success. So make sure you're defining success in a way that makes sense for you and your business and your goals. That is so smart. Amen to that. I have nothing to add to that. Thank you so much, Mariam. And Nomad Nation, if you go to tandemnomads.com slash 132, you'll find all the information of where to find Mariam. But there is her blog and there we move to. But also the book is available on Amazon, I guess, right? Yes, yes, on Amazon and also uh, Barnes & Noble if you're a Kindle reader. Very good. So we'll put the link on the show notes. And you also have a gift for our listeners, which is your free guide to know if you should move or not to a new position. So you can download that on tandemnomads.com slash 132. Nomad Nation, I hope that you really enjoyed this episode. And as much as I did, it's been so inspiring to listen to all your insights, Mariam on how to keep track of our goals in a messy move. So thanks so much for that. Thank you, Amel. It's always an honor and a pleasure to come and chat with you. Lovely, always. So Nomad Nation, stay tuned to turn your challenges on the move into great opportunities.